Now the creditor went the next step. The creditor went the next step and that was authorized by law in the Old Testament and that was he was able to to put the man into prison. He had his fellow servant arrested and he was put into prison. The creditor was only doing the creditor was only doing what was allowed by the Old Testament law. In two kings, in two kings, a poor widow, that we have this story where a poor widow comes to Elisha and, be, and the creditor threatened to put her and her sons in prison because they had a debt that they could not pay. Now, the man probably thought the debtor was a deadbeat. He was unable to pay. And where is their mercy under the law? Why should he extend mercy? The law was not designed for mercy. The law is the law, and it was a legal system. And if the, if the debtors cannot pay, then they need to take the next step. So the debtors face consequences if they do not follow through on what they had agreed to. The creditor probably thought along the lines of, of, well, people who borrow money ought to get a job, they ought to be responsible, and they ought to pay back what they borrowed. They need to show at least some good faith effort of paying back what, what needs to be paid. And if the borrowers are late, then they need to pay the fee in addition to what was borrowed. So the servant, this servant who finds this person who owes him a thousand dollars, not a very large sum, this servant was only doing what a thrifty church member in our day, in our time, would do in, in today. It was his right to call in his debts. Now, the other servant who other servants who saw this interaction. They saw the interaction between the creditor and the debtor. They were furious. They were very, very angry by what they had seen and by what they had heard. And so they demanded an audience with the king. They wanted to go to the king and tell the king what they had seen and what they had heard as they had observed this legal transaction. They could not believe the words that they had heard. They were flamaxed and simply did not understand what was going on between the creditor and the debtor. And when they were finally allowed into the king's palace, they told the king what they had seen and what they had heard. Now, why were they so angry? Why were these other servants these upstanding, righteous servants, why were they so angry? And why were they so upset by what they had seen and by what they had heard? Why were all of them so angry by what they had experienced? The creditor was certainly, as I emphasized a couple times before, the creditor was certainly within his rights. He, legally, he was, he was okay to contact and to demand the payment. 
And their anger, these other servants, their anger would not subside until they had an audience with the king. Well, let me tell you why they were so angry. They were so angry because of $10 billion. Yes, that's B, that's billion with a B. $10 billion. The creditor was forgiven a debt of $10 billion that he could not repay. A creditor was forgiven the debt that he would never be able to pay. It was too large. It was a horrendous debt. But, in verse 26, the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Now, it's rather ironic that the man would say, please be patient and I will pay it all because with that amount of money, the amount of money that he owed, even though he would work an entire lifetime, he would never be able to pay back the $10 billion. So he pleads for mercy and he pleads for grace with the king. And what is the response? The king, without any discussion, without batting an eye, without any negotiation, simply wipes off and cancels the debt. He cancels the debt right then and there after the borrower pleads for mercy. He was a free man. He would not need to go to jail. His family would be free. He would not need to face the consequences because the debt was completely eradicated. All $10 billion. Psalm 32, 1a. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven. We too, like the forgiven servant, walk in forgiveness, we walk in freedom, and we walk in the grace of the Lord. So, we, along with the other servants, are probably also angry at this man. This man who was forgiven so much and such an enormous sum now finds another servant who owes him a paltry sum and does not offer any sort of grace, any, any sort of forgiveness. Where is his grace and where is his love after he had such a tremendous debt, a debt that we cannot even comprehend and visualize how much $10 billion is? We can't even comprehend that amount of money, and he's forgiven it. So why? Why? Why doesn't he offer grace and forgiveness to the person who owes him, the borrower, who owes him a smaller amount of money? But, my people, let's not be too quick to condemn the creditor servant who threw his colleague in jail. We, too, can be like and are like the creditor servant. Even though we have been forgiven by God for a debt that we could never repay, even though we have been forgiven the $10 billion, yet many of us find it hard to forgive, to forgive ourselves, to forgive others, to forgive 
persons in our family or church members. We are inclined to carry a grudge and to be unforgiving toward others. Myron Augsburger, in his commentary on Matthew, says, but human nature is inclined to resent rather to, than to release, to be demanding rather than to forgive. Human nature is inclined to resent rather than to release, to be demanding rather than to forgive. Jim Wade was accused, falsely as time would tell, of molesting his eight-year-old daughter. Authorities removed her from their San Diego, California home in 1989. One year later, Jim was arrested and charged. Finally, in November of 1991, he was cleared when investigators found that his DNA did not match the DNA found on the daughter's clothes. And in the two and a half years that had transpired, the family was severely injured. Wade was publicly maligned. Back in his hometown in Missouri, where he has now retired to begin his life again, Wade insists that forgiveness is a two-way street. He thinks that he has done his part, as he describes it, by letting go of something and carrying on with your own life and not sitting around and worrying about it. Those were his words. But the people who wronged him, county and city investigators included, need to do their part, he insists. When asked what he would do if his accusers called and apologized, he replied, I would probably forgive them. But for now, Wade has not forgiven them. According to the way he understands it, forgiveness is that his accusers, the other person, needs to make the first move. Forgiveness begins with my choice. It's a choice of my will. It's difficult, but it's a choice of my will. It begins with me, a choice that I make. And to forgive the other person, I do not need to wait for the other person to come and apologize and to ask for forgiveness. Again, quoting Myron Augsburger, our refusal to forgive is a power play that limits the offender, that holds the guilty under one's thumb or power. End of quote. When we refuse to forgive, or like Jim Wade, when we insist that the other person needs to come to us first before we offer forgiveness, then we are not, we are not like the servant in this parable, we are not offering the forgiveness, the grace, and the love of God that God has shown to us. We are not sharing that with our sisters and brothers and the other person who needs forgiveness. The creditor, the creditor, in his self-righteousness, viewed the borrower as a deadbeat. He judged him 
as not being worthy of the grace and forgiveness. Even though he had experienced grace and forgiveness, he viewed the other guy who owed him the small sum as a deadbeat. He was not willing to offer grace and forgiveness. In his eyes, the borrower was a deadbeat, and everyone knew, he would say, if you would ask him, everyone knew that deadbeats do not deserve any mercy. Greg Boyd, in his book entitled Repenting of Religion, tells a story. He says, I'm sitting in a mall on a Saturday afternoon, and as I sip my Coke and relax, I study people. I notice that some are pretty and that some are not. Some are slender. Some are obese. On the basis of what they wear and their facial expressions, the way they relate to their spouses, friends, or kids, I conclude that some are godly and others are ungodly. Some give me a warm feeling as I watch their tenderness to their children. Others make me angry and disgusted. Then suddenly I notice, I'm noticing all this. I begin to wonder what purpose this silent commentary about other people, what purpose this is serving. After a moment introspection, I realize that it is on some level making me feel good. It's in a deep sense it is feeding me. It's satisfying some needs that I have to stand in judgment over other people. And deep down, I enjoy being the one who in my own not mind gets to pronounce the verdict. Pretty, ugly, good figure, fat, godly, cute, etc. Greg Boyd had fallen into the trap, the same trap that the creditor servant had been in. Rather than blessing people, rather than blessing people as Jesus taught, Instead, Greg, in his mind, was offering curses. He was standing in judgment without even being aware of it at first. How many of us in the church sit and judge others, fall into the same trap as Greg Boyd? So, back to the story, what happened in the story in the scriptures. How did the king respond to the servant who had, was forgiven $10 billion and didn't, didn't have any mercy on his fellow servant. Well, Eugene Peterson tells us in the message, the king summoned the man and said, you evil servant, I forgive your entire debt when you beg me for mercy. Shouldn't you be compelled to be merciful to your fellow servant who asked for mercy? The king was furious and put the screws to the man until he paid back his entire debt. Yes, even though we have been forgiven by God, yet many of us had a difficult time offering grace and offering forgiveness to ourselves, offering grace and forgiveness to others, as I mentioned earlier. 
When they do something, when somebody else does something, even if it is an accident, it's easier to hold on to that and to offer resentment rather than and anger rather than grace. So what is the answer? What is the answer to our problem of unforgiveness? How can we become a forgiving people? How can we become a forgiving people known by our love and our care and the forgivingness of one another? How can we keep from sitting as judge like Greg Boyd was? The psalmist says, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven. So, the first answer, the first answer to this question is to be aware of the cost of our own forgiveness. To be aware of the cost of our own forgiveness. There's a little story back in 1 Chronicles where David is holed up in the cave or outside the city of Bethlehem. The Philistines are in charge of the city of Bethlehem and he can't go back into Bethlehem. And he shares with his men that he would love to have a drink of water from the well right by the gate of the city of Bethlehem. And so some of David's men, some of the men went to get a drink of water for David. And they, they uh, broke through the lines and were able to get the water and then to come back and bring this water. And what David said in verse 19 of 1 Chronicles 11, God forbid that I should drink it, he exclaimed. This water is as precious as the blood of the men who risked their lives to bring it to me. So David did not drink it. The reason he didn't drink it is because he was aware of the cost. He was aware of the sacrifice of these men, and they could have lost their lives as they went to get the water for him. He knew the cost of the water. So the first answer is to know the cost of our forgiveness, that Jesus died on the cross, and then we are able to offer forgiveness. The second answer is to marvel at and walk in the mercy of the grace of God. To marvel at and to walk in the mercy and the grace of God. God didn't just forgive our sins one time. Not only back there when we received Jesus as Savior and Lord. God continues to forgive our sins day by day. We continue to live and to walk in God's mercy and God's grace. Those $10 billion need to continue to be forgiven. As a young man, Walter Horton worked on an ambulance crew. And one night, they picked up a prostitute who had been slashed in a fight, and she was dying. Do you think God forgives anyone as bad as me? She asked. Whereupon, a nurse responded with the correct answer. God cares about you, and God forgives you. Because God has forgiven us by the death of his son, so we too are able to walk in grace and offer forgiveness and compassion to other people. We will pour out that 
on the ground as a sign of blessing, even as David poured out the water rather than to drink it. We will refuse to demonize others. We will refuse to call them names and to judge them as less than ourselves and to categorize other people and say they are not as good as I am. Now the setting of this parable is in response to the question that Peter asked. And Peter asked in Matthew 18, 20, and 21, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Peter's question, his question to Jesus, assumes that there is some limit to offering forgiveness, that there must be a point where you stop offering forgiveness. And the seven times in What Peter suggests is pretty generous to forgive an offense seven times. But Jesus says, stop counting. Stop counting. In the kingdom, in the church, we live in the unlimited, the unlimited, there's no limit to the forgiveness the number of times we forgive one another. It's unlimited. In his book, Building a Discipling Culture. Mike Breen says, quote, As we walk in the grace of God's forgiveness, we will forgive others. Freely we have received. Freely we give. This, Mike Breen says, is a law of kingdom life. End of quote. So, to sum up the takeaway for today, What can we take away from this sermon? Since we have been forgiven more than we can ever imagine or comprehend, we can't comprehend the 10 billion bucks, no. We can extend and offer forgiveness to all, and especially, especially to brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, in the church. So, my sisters and brothers, stop counting the number of times you forgive. Instead, let us walk in the mercy and the grace of God, offering unlimited forgiveness to one another. Amen. May it be so.